Great to be with you. I also want to take a moment to welcome all the guests in the room, whether you're a first-time guest or this is, you've been here multiple times. We're just glad you're here. I want to welcome those who are joining us on live stream. We have people joining us from hospital rooms and lake houses, beach houses, deer blinds, and who knows where else. But it's great to have you with us today. Last Sunday was Stand Sunday globally, where churches around the world took time to acknowledge and to probably have special prayers that they prayed for the fatherless and orphans and those in foster care and the need for adoption throughout the world. And churches around the world did that, and we gave just a moment last week to acknowledge, but we had so much going on in the life of our church last Sunday that we wanted to take today where we sing a couple of songs and had some scripture read. And, and I want to preach a sermon in the sermon series, but try to, especially toward the end, kind of point to what it means to stand for something. Like, don't you, like the day you die, don't you want to, don't you hope that you stood for something in life that God would stand for too? Like, I hope I, I don't die and I, I stand for so many things, like, like the heart of God's not standing for. And when it comes to caring for the fatherless, you know you're on God's side with this one. That throughout the entire Bible, God talks about his love for children, and Jesus talks about his love for children. Last Sunday was a big day for us. We had 84 hours of prayer around, around the clock, consistent prayer that ended last Sunday morning. We had a youth retreat that was going last weekend. And then Sunday, right after church, we had a big potluck. And I know there's always a little concern when we have a potluck, especially on a busy weekend, that there's not going to be enough food. But that is never a problem with this church. The food just keeps coming. God keeps multiplying. Somehow people are taken care of. But even with everything going on, last Sunday, it was the first Sunday that we provided 50 red tubs to help take care of a lot of children who are in need throughout the 901 and 100 agape boxes. And usually they aren't gone in one Sunday, but you went and you took all 50 tubs and all 100 boxes. So can we just thank God for the generosity of this church? Never ceases to amaze me. So we have found more boxes. There are 50 more boxes out there. There are more red tubs. This is a season, I know, I know every year, this is a season where all of you are getting hit up by people in churches and organizations who are asking for some money at the end of the year. And I'm sure you're getting emails and maybe phone calls. You're getting probably stuff in your mail. And, and I know a lot of organizations, and you do too, and they, they're organizations with integrity, and they they're asking for money because they believe so much in their, in their mission and their vision and who they are. And you just got to know, you can't say yes to everything, but you also don't have to say no to everything. And sometimes you say yes, maybe not by giving money, but maybe there's some word of encouragement that you can give to some organization. But here's something that really excites my heart is that this church responded so well last Sunday. But what breaks my heart is to think that as we committed last Sunday to take care of 150 children throughout the 901, it's just a small fraction of the kids just right here in our community who are in desperate need of love, of dignity, of Jesus, of, of, of a church family. And I hope that we will be a church that continues to rise up to stand with them and for them. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Coming to the end of a series in Mark chapter 1 through 10, and then next season in the next year in the season of Easter, I want to pick back up in Mark 11 through 16. But today I want to focus just on eight verses. In Mark chapter 9, verse 30, it says this They left that place and they passed through Galilee. So, so that place, last Sunday I was joined by Caroline and by Zach, who helped 
teach the transfiguration story. So that's the place that they just left. Jesus left that place, passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is multiple times Jesus has already talked to the disciples about this. But verse 32 says, but they did not understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and must be the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. And for the reading of the word of God, the whole church said, Amen. Amen. I want to show you a couple of faces and see if you know who they are. Will you go to this next one? Do you know who this is? Yeah. Some of you may look up there, and some of you, I know you, the way you watch TV now is you, don't, you, don't, you do it in a way where you don't watch commercials. But some of you look, and some of you could just say, I've seen her in a commercial. And some of you would say, that's a progressive commercial. And some of you would say, that's flow. And some of you, if you saw Flo in Times Square, walking some street, you would holler at her and you'd be like, hey, Flo. But Flo's not her real name, right? But this is a girl, a woman, you probably recognize, who's probably a multimillionaire of doing this commercial. Here's the next one. Can you go, do you know who this person is? <laughs> You've probably seen this guy in a commercial too, an Allstate commercial. Right? Crisis just surrounds this guy. And it's kind of funny, but it's a commercial that's letting you know that, hey, there are agencies out there, insurance agents who, may, just the reality is, things happen, crazy things happen in life, and you're going to get hurt. And it's good to have people on your side. If you go to the next slide. Anybody know? Chris and Cliff Paul, right? Chris Paul, great NBA player. It's a commercial that shows his twin brother, who's Cliff, both of them. One's MBA and offers up assist in the MBA, and one's an insurance agent who offers up assist when you're in need. Now, let me show you one more. Do you know who this is? It's Jake from State Farm. Because there's so many, like, if you think about the people in commercials that you know the best, many of them are from insurance commercials. They're, they're famous, like you know the names, you know the jingles, you know the nationwide jingle, right? Like these are things we know. And most, most of these commercials are letting you know there, there are cheaper prices and there are also agents who are there to help you no matter when you need them. Call them at any time of day. Jake from State Farm's going to be there to help you. Chuck from State Farm is there to help me. And I'm not just making a plug for State Farm. I know there are other agencies represented, all right? But there have been times I've needed my agent. Now, it's hard because my agent has a flip phone, all right? So if you don't get him at the office, it's hard to... I text his wife who then lets him know, and then he calls me. And this is... He's called me from San Antonio, from the beach before, when I've been in need. It gets, and sometimes I, there are times when we need Jesus to be like an insurance agent for us. Because things happen in life. And there are times that you don't know how the bill's going to get paid. Or you get the call that your mom has cancer. Or you get cause and things happen in life and we go to Jesus hoping Jesus can help solve a crisis or help a crisis or walk us through a storm or whatever it may be but the thing is is this some of you only treat Jesus like an insurance agent 
that you only need him or go to him when you are in a crisis and you're in a time of need and there's been a wreck in your life and you need Jesus to come and try to fix everything that's gone wrong. When Jesus desires to be so much more for us, he desires to be salvation. He desires transformation. He wants to know us on so many different levels. So in this story that we read today, they just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus met with a few of his disciples to help reveal his character, to help show his purpose and his mission and what he's here for. And and they were still struggling to, to know who Jesus is. So they come down from the mountain. And in this story, it's like Jesus is, he wants to teach them. He wants to stay away from a crowd. And it says, so that he can teach his disciples. He wanted some uninterrupted time with them to help process life. To reveal the mission of God, he wanted some uninterrupted time. Jesus wants some uninterrupted time with you too. Uh, when Casey and I first started dating, we went on a few dates, and the first, it seemed like the first dozen dates we went on, it was all about DTR, determining the relationship. Like how, like how serious is this relationship going to be? So it was probably date number three or four. So we were probably a Mr. Gaddy's, all right, because I wanted her to know how much I loved her. So we're probably sitting down over pizza. I don't know, it may have been Chili's. I don't remember. We're eating a meal. To this day, when we go into a restaurant to eat, Casey positions me in the restaurant to where the TVs with sports are to my back so I cannot see them. But something else happened on this date. It was probably date number three or four, and we're sitting down and we're eating. And I just grew up in a fan. I just grew up in a way whenever... Like, I've, I eat fast all the time. When our staff goes to lunch on Mondays, I eat fast. Fork doesn't leave my hand. If I'm eating a burger, a burger doesn't leave my hand. Maybe it's because I was raised in a family where I was afraid if I didn't eat fast and my dad or someone else was going to start eating off my plate. I don't know, all right? So we're sitting there and we're eating. And the food comes. And the fork is in my hand. And I'm eating and I'm eating fast. And I'll never forget it. Casey reached across the table and she grabbed the fork out of my hand. This is like date number three or four. Grabbed the fork out of my hand, set it down on the table and said, can you look me in the face for a moment? I want to talk to you today while we eat. And I remember kind of leaning back thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. Like <laughs> this aggression, like I... If she takes a fork out of my hand, is she going to take the remote control out of my hand one day? Like, I don't, I'm not sure about this. But I, I bet today there are times Jesus would love to reach out and take the phone out of your hand and put it down. And Jesus would love to take the tablet out of your hand and set it on where you can't see the face. So he would like to take the laptop and close them, take our computer and shut it down. Like to take the remote and turn off the TV for a moment because Jesus desires a little uninterrupted time with us. Because he doesn't just want you to know him as the savior of your life. Jesus wants to teach us. He wants to reveal the character of God. And whenever it comes to growth and maturity, this isn't something that comes just like, a, like God just downloads it into your brain. Or you just hit a button and it downloads into your heart. When it comes to the wisdom of God and knowing more about God and what it is God wants and his mission and his nature. It's not just downloaded into our memory bank. It takes sacrifice and it takes time. You want maturity, you want development in any part of your life. It takes sacrifice, consistency, time. And this is what Jesus wanted for them. They come down from the mountain and he wants some uninterrupted time to continue to process and continue to teach the disciples. So they end up in Capernaum. And all it says is they go to Capernaum and they go into the house. You're not told to whose house. Maybe it's Peter's house. 
but just a reminder of so many things that in the book of Mark happened in this little town, like 1,500 people, this little town of Capernaum, where in this little place, Jesus drove out demons and he healed Peter's mother-in-law and he called at least four, maybe five apostles, five of the 12 came from this little town of Capernaum. He drove out demons, he healed diseases. This is where the roof opened up and someone lowered a friend down to Jesus. All these stories that took place there and now they're right back in Capernaum and they're in the house. And when they're in the house, Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the road? If you were a disciple, what do you think or what do you feel in this moment when Jesus looks at you and says, what were you arguing about on the road? I mean, are you going to share with him what the big argument was about? Are you going to try to lie? Are you going to, was there some petty argument that you were in that you may go with that one? What were you arguing about on the road? I wonder if this is a question Jesus would still ask today. In a form of, what were you arguing about yesterday on Facebook? Did it matter? Like after you engage in the argument, did you feel better about yourself? Better about yourself? Did you feel like you did something good for the world? What were you arguing about? There's not a spiritual gift of being social media police, right? What were you arguing about? I wonder this Thursday night or this Friday, how Jesus, how much he would want to enter into whatever we engage in with family and relatives and maybe some friends. And Jesus would come and say, what were you arguing about over Thanksgiving meal? Because how many of you have ever gone into a holiday meal with your family and the whole way there you're thinking, we're not going to talk about politics. Don't bring up politics. Two minutes in, you're talking about politics, right? You're going into a meal with your family and everybody's coming together and you're like, just don't bring up church. Let's not talk about women's role, not talk about instrumental music or praise teams. And then you're asked to pray and you look and you just ask your wife to pray over everything, right? What are you arguing about? What were you arguing about on the way to church? What are you going to argue about on the way home from church? What were you arguing about with your spouse, with your kids, coworkers? And I'm not suggesting that arguing is bad. Arguing and debating can be really good for us. Yet often we find ourselves in senseless arguments that aren't good for the kingdom or for anybody in the world. What were you arguing about on the road? Jesus is great with questions, right? What were you, argue, what were you arguing about on the road? Because sometimes we argue about things and engage in things, and maybe we win the argument, but the way we won is still like a loss for the kingdom of God. What were you arguing about on the road? And the Bible tells you what they were arguing about. They're arguing about who was the greatest. They're arguing about, I don't know if they're arguing. I mean, think of what those 12 had already done. Jesus sent them out on mission trips. They've, they've taught in front of crowds. They've driven out demons. Maybe they've healed diseases. Like they've done some pretty cool stuff in the name of Jesus. And now they're arguing about who is the greatest. Okay, so if something happens to Jesus, which one of us is going to step up as the leader of everybody else? Who's the greatest? And Jesus' response is, if you want to be first, right, you're last. But then he adds something to it. You be the servant of all. The greatest of all. Isn't the person who demands a stage and big crowds and attention. It is the person who gives their life to the service of God. And you serve in a way where pictures aren't taken, that goes on the web to let everybody see how you have served. It's, you serve in a way because it's what Jesus would do. When I joined the church staff at the Highland Church of Christ in Abilene, 
I was a junior in college, and I worked with the youth for about 10 months, and then I moved into a preaching apprentice role for about maybe a year and a half. And I worked under Mike Cope, who at the time was my mentor and has become one of my closest friends. And I remember I sat down with Mike when I started this preaching internship, this preaching apprenticeship. I said, Mike, I want you to teach me how to preach. I had a heart for God. I I didn't mind being in front of crowds. I was like, man, teach me like the craft and teach me how to work a stage and how to try to engage a crowd. And Mike's response was he took me to a bookstore and we walked through the bookstore and he bought all these books that he and I were going to read. One book a week and we were going to go to lunch and talk about it. And then a few weeks in after we've been reading books, I'm like, Mike, I'm Teach me to preach, man. Teach me how to step up on a stage. And he responded by saying, hey, there's a woman in our church who's on hospice care. Her name's Angela. She has two twins. They're 13-year-olds. She's dying this week, and I need you to come with me to their house. And I want you to sit with the twins and try to process faith and suffering while I minister to Angela. And I remember a few weeks later, I'm like, Mike, I want you to teach me to preach. Teach me how to step up on a stage and teach me about the craft of preaching and how to work a sermon from beginning to end and engage a crowd. And his response was, hey man, we're going to do some prison ministry this Sunday. And what Mike was teaching me was that preaching, even this kind of leadership, is not about my ability to step up on a stage and entertain people or open the word of God. It is loving God and committing yourself to a life of serving people, sniffing out the work of God wherever it is God is in the world. And Jesus, by doing this, what he taught was, what are you arguing about on the way? And he's trying to lift them up above all the petty stuff that we find ourselves engaged in. And he's teaching them that, hey, the Spirit of God is on you. Those 12 men, the Spirit of God was on them to be people who helped launch the church. And he's telling them it's not about your fame and how many followers you have. It is committing your life to serving God, whether people see it or whether the crowds don't. And then this, to drive home the point, Jesus took a child into his arms. And the Greek's kind of hard with this one, right? Because was this an infant? We're talking about a three-month-old? Are we talking about a three-year-old? Are we talking about an eight-year-old? If he took a child and put it in his lap, probably not an 18-year-old, all right? But he, he takes a child, and this isn't just a show-and-tell for Jesus. This isn't just using a child as a prop. It's in a time when children weren't thought much of, especially girls. He took a child into his lap. And then Jesus said, whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes one who sent me. And Jesus is helping people see about the love of God and the humility of God and what what it means to serve. So I don't know where it is you need this story in your life today. If it's hearing a message of how Jesus wanted some uninterrupted time to be the teacher of his disciples and you need some uninterrupted time for Jesus to be your teacher too. Or if it's that you're engaging in some arguments that aren't good for your soul or for your development. You, just, you need to take that more seriously. You need to disengage from some stuff. Or maybe it's just hearing the call of Jesus to, that you're called this week, tomorrow, today when you leave is... Who can you serve? And how do you serve? And and what does it mean for you to live a life of service? But with it being Stan Sunday, 
as, as we talk about and think and pray and heard scripture today about what it means to stand for children, I, I came across a, an image. Can we just go to that image of, um, there's this image that someone tweeted about a few weeks ago in, in preparation for Orphan Sunday. And I, I know you, I don't expect you to see all these numbers, but the, the top number of every, every state is the number of children who are currently in foster care. And I think this was from a couple of years ago, so I don't it may be a little off, but the bottom number is how many churches there are in that state. And can we just go to that next one? Because I tried to highlight, uh, it's kind of hard to see, but just the, the state of Tennessee. But you see 2,517 children waiting for adoption, over 11,000 churches in the state of Tennessee. And if churches around just the United States took seriously what it means to wrap around children in the foster system, what kind of difference could we make? And for what God is already doing in and through this church, we give thanks and ask God to help that only multiply. Because I don't want the church, and I'm not just talking about Sycamore for you, I don't want Jesus' church around the world to ever be what gets in the way of the children of the world having love and dignity and hopefully a relationship with Jesus. And what way are we becoming bridges through all the, for all the children in our community to help to introduce them into something that is better. Jesus is still taking children into his lap and telling us how much he cares for them. This is also a great text for us, Mark chapter 9, 30 through 37. Because at the end of this worship service, we're going to commission and affirm four new elders in our church. Four men I have a ton of respect for. I love their families. And whenever I think about Passages in the Bible that speak to the leaders of the church, my mind doesn't immediately go to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. When I've been asked to preach sermons on, on elders, I don't go to 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Those aren't the first places I go to. First places I go to are times when Jesus talks about, you want to be the greatest of all, you be the servant of all. The being an elder isn't about power and authority and your status. It is committing yourself to serve people in a way where people get to know Jesus better. And what a way for us to even pray over those elders today. I went to San Francisco on a campaign. This was, I was 19 years old, and I had heard a year before that there was a spring break campaign of college students who went to San Fran. And they picked them up from the airport, and as they were going to the place where they were going to stay, the van pulled over to the side of a road, and the person in charge of this entire event told these college students, hey, you have no clue where you are right now, but you need to get out of the van, and I'm going to pick you up in one hour, and you need to go meet people on the streets, and you need to know their name. I want you to tell me something about them, and I want you to tell them about how much Jesus loves them. Totally freak these college students out. So I was a camp part of the campaign the next year, so we land, we get in a van, and we're like, man, they're going to make us do that too. Just stop in the middle of nowhere and tell us to get out and go talk to people. He didn't do that to us. But on day two or three, we went to a place in San Fran where there's a large homeless community. And we stood on the side of a road. And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk down this sidewalk for 30 minutes. And I don't want you looking to the left or the right. But I want us to sing songs about Jesus. And when we get to the end, we're going to turn around and I just need you to believe me. There's going to be a crowd of people following us. And when we turn around and he started pointing at me and a few others, you're going to share with them a word of God. And we did it. 
what I want you to hear today is however Jesus encounters us in a worship service or in a setting is preparation for engagement in the world. It's not just for your wisdom. It's not just for your knowledge. Every encounter with Jesus is preparation for engagement. And we have a city and a world ready and eager, whether they know it or not, to have an encounter. And may we be a church that is faithful, doing our part, and being light and salt this week anywhere we go. I want to ask the elders and the prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people. If there's something in your heart or in your life that you want to bring before this church, we have leaders in the front to receive you. And around the room, we also position prayer leaders. If there's something else in your life you would like prayers for, prayers for courage or prayers to live out how you have heard God speak through me or from this platform today, I want you to go to these people, just receive a blessing or a word of prayer. Let's stand together and let's sing this song.